All right, after all the prep, we are now working on the methods, uh, the mechanics of interpretation. So uh, as we, we get going here, we want to look at um, four methods of teachings. And you'll notice I have five bullet points up there, and we'll explain actually why a little bit later. One of those, um, one of that last one is a invalid method of teaching that people often um, use as a method of teaching uh, from the scriptures, but um, I, I believe, in my opinion, that it is invalid. We'll get to that uh, in several weeks anyway, maybe next week. Uh, but what I want to look at is that there are four basic ways that the scripture teaches, and then there's some sub um, some subtypes within each of these, um, and these are just categorized the, the way I categorize them. Other people would categorize them differently. But, uh, and they're going to be given in the order um, of priority. And I want to explain what I mean by that. That um, they're listed, we're going to go through these in the order of the weight that they carry in interpretation. And I want to be clear that we're not saying that one's more important or that one is more valid than another. Uh, any type of truth from God's word is valid. Obviously, but um, but when we're trying to figure out what a topic, what the what a a truth is, and we have different verses, we have to arrange them in an order that is going to produce uh, a correct interpretation. So so we're going to work from uh, maybe the more simpler uh, truths or whatever. We're going to build up something and then use that to interpret other verses. We've got to figure out which ones. We can't just begin randomly. Um, and so, or, I mean, we can, but we won't necessarily have a, uh, uh, as accurate of a picture. There, there'll be a greater chance that, that we're wrong. And that's, that's kind of the idea of hermeneutics is, is trying to do this in, in a way that, um, will give us a more stable type of interpretation, a more reliable so they're all valuable. Um, all truths are valuable, but we just have to arrange them. And let me give you an example. Is you know I, I probably should have failed calculus, but anyway, uh, I had a nice teacher who passed me, and uh, and and here's what happened with with my calculus. I I was going through calculus in high school, and he says, you know, you actually kind of understand calculus, um, the concepts. But your algebra stinks. So, um, you know, if I had paid attention in algebra, I'd probably be good at calculus, or at least better. You can't learn algebra, as I proved in, you know, my senior year. You cannot learn algebra by studying calculus. However, if you would have studied algebra, it would have given you the ability to come to the correct understanding of calculus problems. So there's an order that we do things. We can't just pick up anywhere we want uh, and expect to come out with the truth. Uh, properly understood, you know, calculus and algebra will never disagree with each other. Properly understood, two verses of scripture will never disagree with each other. Uh, but we want to, to look at these scriptures and learn how to do that. So that's what we're going we're gonna to do. We're going to begin with... Um, we're going to just cover two types of teaching. These are probably the two 
most reliable uh, in or, or necessary to, to understand in Scripture. Uh, so the first one that we're looking at is direct teaching. That's the first major category, and we're going to look at three different types of direct teaching. And the first one is in commands. So uh, when we're looking at the type of behavior we should have, right? Uh, we're looking at black and white statements. Um, when people prohibit, you know, a preacher gets up there and says, you know, and asserts this is a thing we shouldn't do or this is a thing we should do or whatever, we, we have to look at the clear statements. That preacher better have based his understanding on some pretty clear statements and not just kind of picked an obscure, harder-to-understand text and, and gone from that. I want to give you some illustrations. Uh, again, as, a, as we go through these, I'm always going to illustrate these and, and try to show you how this works, um, not just give you, um, you know, just give you vague ideas. Uh, we're going to read a couple of verses. Malachi chapter 2.16 and Matthew 5.31-32, which are on similar topics. So Malachi 2.16 says this, uh, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in spirit and do not be faithless. Um, and... I want to look at that in a different version. I was looking, I'm looking for another word here. Um, we'll get her just a second. Let me turn here. Okay, uh, that's an interesting version. I, I just copied and pasted it. Um, reading from the New King James uh, Version here, Malachi 2.16, let me read this. It says, For the Lord God of Israel says, I hate divorce. Um, he who divorces commits, uh, uh, covers, himself with covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Uh, and then Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, says, It was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so, so there's two different types of statements. And obviously we can see, and I'm using a pretty simple topic. Well, I guess it, it shouldn't. Be considered so simple. It's a source of a lot of discussion, uh, and there are some difficulties. But um, these scriptures are pretty simple to understand. Uh, but even though they are different, they look to reach the same conclusion. Uh, but Matthew's is much more clear in one sense. It gives more details. It gives. Uh, the basic premise, it gives the exception, it gives um, more of a command type. And 
whereas we're going to look at Malachi. Malachi gives us a pretty clear statement. God hates divorce. And I suppose if you wanted, you can work around that and, well, what, you know, what cause and for all these things. But, but you do see kind of a difference in the type of verses that we're looking at. But really, they're very direct. And they give us a point. This is what God wants. This is expected behavior. So there are commands, and we could go through any type of behavior, and we understand that there are a lot of commands. It's just simply don't do it. Don't do it. You've heard it said, but I say to you, those are pretty simple commands. Uh, doctrinal statements is the second type of direct teaching. Uh, so I want to look at a couple of verses here. Um, doctrinal statements. And First uh, Peter 3.21, we're going to... Read that, and then Ephesians 2.8. And again, we're going to compare. So, so here we're not necessarily talking about a, a behavior. Some behavior might be involved in this, but just some straightforward doctrine. Baptism, 1 Peter 3.21 says, Now baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God of a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's 1 Peter 3.21. And then Ephesians uh, to eight says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. So here are two doctrinal statements, and they both exist. They are very real, and they are both pretty black and white. I mean, there, there's nothing obscure in these. And yet, uh, one of the things that happens, right, um, what do we do when we discuss or debate uh, a topic? You know, well, we bring up our verse, and the other person brings up their verse, and, um, and we go back and forth with our list of verses, and they argue with their list of verses, and we really don't ever get anywhere, do we, when you do that? Uh, all the verses have to be taken together. The, you know, the Baptist has to understand, 1 Peter 3.21 is there, and the, a person from the Church of Christ has to understand that Ephesians 2.8 is there, and, and we all have to, if we're trying to be, uh, trying to interpret things to come to the truth, we have to form one truth from these different doctrines, for doctrinal statements. They're very clear. And the sad thing is, is when someone goes, you know, this, this verse is inconvenient to me. So, well, that's just, uh, that's just symbolic or that's, you know, that's not, it's not really saying that. Uh, and we do that. And we're going to talk about that down the road a little bit. But they're not contradictory. And I don't get to dismiss the verses that seem to be um, inconvenient for me. Baptism now saves you. It is not hard to understand. A Peter wouldn't have worded it that way if he didn't intend to. That's, uh, and, and God wouldn't have inspired him to word it that way if he didn't intend to. So they mean things. So there are doctrinal statements, and there is an implied behavior here, obviously, in, in talking about baptism, but, but for most part, these are doctrinal statements. The third type of direct teaching are simply statements of fact. They're not, you know, they're not, uh, they might be a historical statement, they might be just a, a detail um, that's that's in the story for the purpose of telling the story, and, um, but they are important 
uh, a lot of times you'll find them very useful. Let me give you an example. So last week, um, uh, Kathy Linick came in, and after church we were talking, and she said, uh, I go to this, uh, um, for her, she goes to a daycare, I guess, uh, with her, uh, uh, the, I don't know, the, there's a center where she, she goes to, um, and um, it's assisted living or whatever it is. Anyway, she says that there's a guy there that does these Bible studies, and uh, which really aren't Bible studies. It's him just you know ranting and raving about some opinion. And she says um, he said last week that uh, I I uh, this guy says that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus were the same person. Oh. That's a, uh, that's a new one. I've heard some really strange things about Mary Magdalene before, but I've never heard that one. And, and you can't be prepared for every weird thing that somebody's going to say. So what do you do? I mean, that's that's weird. Um, I know it's wrong. So so we've got it. We should be able to prove that uh, either with some difficulty or simply. Um, just I've never heard anybody say that before. Well, I, I was trying to think. I know there's a lot of lists of women, and uh, so I'm trying to think of where they're at right off the top of my head, and it took me a little bit of thumbing around. Uh, but I was like, you know, I, I was like, I'm not sure, but it seems to me there's a list of women where both of them are at. So, so I turned to, uh, I found it eventually, John 19.25. It says this, by, uh, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and... Mary Magdalene. Well, that's open and shut now, isn't it? Uh, that's the end of it. Um, there's Mary, his mother, and next to Mary, uh, there's two other women, one of which is Mary Magdalene. So they can't be the same person. We kind of understand that. So just a statement of fact, you know, when, uh, when, when John wrote this, he wasn't thinking, you know, uh, thousands of years from now, somebody's probably going to suggest that these two people are the same person. So I'm, I'm going to put this in there so that when we get to that point, I'll, they'll be able to prove the truth. It's just, a, it's just a true statement of fact, but it's valuable, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I talked about, you know, <laughs> I was uh, in, in meeting a, a person in college and... Uh, who believe that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Spirit, which is a, a slightly more, I mean, it's not extremely popular of a strange doctrine, but it, there's more people who will believe that than, you know, uh, than the Mary is Mary kind of thing. Uh, but I'm just in college, and, and this this guy, his preacher, and he knew the right verses to to suggest this doctrine, and I didn't know what to do. So it was summertime, and one of the, the professors was over working on the, the dorms um, where we lived and uh, uh, just doing some maintenance. And uh, I said, I Jerry, I said, I know he's wrong, but I don't know how he's wrong. So he goes, Andrew, he goes, uh, just read the book of John. So, uh, so I read the book of John and went back loaded for bear. I highlighted almost the entire book of John because almost the entire book of vir virtually every chapter proved this guy wrong. So how did I not know this? 
So it's just good to store up these statements, and obviously you can't store them all up because you know it's such a detailed book and it, it, it's got all this information. But the the more you're used to it, it's the same thing. It's like I wasn't prepared for this person to say this. I'm like I don't exactly know where I'm going to find this for Kathy, but I know it's in there. And you've got to thumb around a little bit. I think it's kind of I know it's at, kind of near the cross, and I'm just going to have to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just kind of skim around. So. Um, so that th- these are the basic. These, this is where we start when we're trying to interpret scriptures. Begin with the direct statements, statements of fact, whether they be commands or whether they be doctrinal statements. It just depends on what we're trying to establish or what the topic is. Begin with the direct black and white statements. Let's start there. Uh, don't begin with the second. Um, well, if we're talking about direct teaching, we're going to then move to the second in terms of priority, which is abstract. Um, abstract statements. Abstract statements um, are every bit as important as the direct statements. In fact, uh, in some ways, they're more important to you and I, um, you and me, more important to you and me, um, just in case we have any English teachers out there. Uh, but, but let me explain what I mean by that. Um, look, by looking at some different types of um, abstract statements. A lot of our abstract statements um, come under, well, they come under two categories mainly. And that is behavioral principles or concepts. Um, I want to read a a text in Hebrews chapter 5. It begins, uh, goes through chapter 6. This is one of those places where whoever put the chapters and verses in our Bible, I think, did a bad job. Um, And uh, it's one, really one text that starts from Hebrews 5.11 and it goes through um, Hebrews 6.3. It says this, Now about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, instructions of washings, laying on of hands, and resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. So, um, what are we looking at as the basic need of these people? These basic need of these people, well, they had really a couple. First of all, Paul, here in Hebrews, is trying to get them to maturity. But they're having difficulty with the simple statements, the direct statements, the very basic fundamental doctrine. But he's trying to get them to the mature thing. But even in that, what is he interested in? And a lot of time when we look at this, we look at milk versus meat, and we think of simple doctrine versus really hard doctrines. You know, the heavy sayings of Christ, the hard sayings of Paul, or whatever. 
You know, there's books like that. And, we, you know, people just love to talk about really difficult doctrine. Well, there is doctrine that's difficult, but that's not what's intended by meat. Uh, meat has to be chewed. And I want you to notice a couple of uh, verse or, or phrases in here. He talks about powers of discernment. Um, and he talks about constant practice. Right? And he talks about distinguishing good from evil. Uh, those three phrases are very important for us to understand what meat is. Meat is not really hard doctrine. Meat is the application. It's the lifestyle choice. This is where we live in abstract thought. The majority of Christianity is in abstract thought. I'll show that in just a second. Uh, but it's more important to get this hard application than hard doctrine. Right? Knowing good and evil, knowing the way to live. That's where he wanted to get them. But he's like, you're not going to be able to get there if you don't understand some basic things. So if we have to teach the basic things first, we have to get those under control and then get to your ability to apply those things to your life. And application is abstract. It is the more important part of what we do. It's where Paul really wanted to get to, but it's not the first place. So there's a difference. And this is why I said this at the beginning. There's a difference between being first and being most important. So, um, all truth is truth. And where we live as Christians is in the abstract. I'll give you some examples, as I say. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23, we've all memorized this at some point in time. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So, uh, none of these are black and white commands. Um, we know what they are, but these are all concepts. They're all ideas that have to be applied. There's no, there's no text in here that you're going to go and uh, have a, a, an exact definition of what love is or, or what joy is. We'll have some ideas of some things. There might be some illustrations and some examples and various things like that. But, but God never set down exactly in detail what, what we have to do to have love. It's, it's something that has to be applied. Well, um, yet at the same time, we read Galatians 3, 23, and we recognize that they're not optional, even though they're abstract. We can't hope to interpret this the same way we would a literal statement by just simply reading it and knowing what we need to know about it. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29. Uh, and here this is uh, the setup for the prodigal son. Uh, Luke 10, 25 through 29. And uh, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in our law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, and with your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify him, said, who is my neighbor? And so, oh, yes, sorry. So <laughs> the Good Samaritan. 
Um, so it sets up the good, the story of the Good Samaritan. And um, but it's it's it, some things are interesting here. Uh, he begins with the Old Testament command. Um, we're gonna we're gonna begin with a basic command from the old law, and then we're going to move to some application of behavior. And it's important that we see him do that in this order. We've, we've, and that's the order we've given it in. Begin with a command, move to the application, move to the abstract. And uh, look at what happens in moving to the abstract. And we said this before, the, and, and we're going to repeat this probably even here in just a second here, as we move on to the second thing here, we talked about the heart. The heart is very important. Um, but we, we see the, the person trying to find his way through, trying to find the exception, trying to, oh, well, who is my neighbor? See, he, he recognized this is abstract. You can't argue with the, the command. That's black and white. We start with the command, then we move to the abstract, the application. So, so there are uh, behavior requirements that are ab- that those are largely discerned through a desire, through a good heart of wanting to do right and please God. The other type of abstract, um, and this involves even our behavior, but the other aspect of abstract thought is philosophical concepts. In other words, the New Testament doesn't merely just focus on the doing or not doing of things. But it tries to get to that point by changing or affecting, influencing the way we think. Um, There is advanced knowledge and there are deep ideas. Behavior modification is connected to... Our philosophy, how do you understand God, right? Or how do you understand humanity? How do we interpret the world around us and good and evil, right? That was one of the things that, that, that Paul mentioned in Hebrews. You know, you have to discern good and evil. We have to understand things about this. So, so there's some deep philosophical ideas. Let me give you some examples. And what I want to do is compare. We're going to give you two examples. And I want you to see which one should I begin with uh, which one would I begin with? And there might be some trick trick ones in here, so don't worry if you get them wrong. Uh, because this is not always easy. Uh, it's not always easy for anybody, any preacher. That's why we get things wrong uh, from time to time. Uh, even the best meaning of people get them wrong. Um, let's look at two verses, Deuteronomy 6.4, and we're going to then read John 1.1. 1, 1. Let's see which one we should begin with. Uh, Deuteronomy six four says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." And then John one one, we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Which one should I begin with in establishing truth? I want a true doctrine, a true understanding of God. Where do I begin? Well, I know as we've said, they both have to come to one idea because there's only one God and he is who he is and scripture has to point to him. So where should I begin? 
Okay. We live in the New Testament, so we immediately go, well, John 1.1. 1, 1. And to your point, John 1.1 1, 1 is more detailed. We've talked about the more detailed things, but yet it's a little bit more complex or abstract. Um, what happens if I do it one way versus the other way? Well, uh, if I do it one way, uh, think about um, what would happen if I first studied the, the word, Jesus, um, is God and he's with God. And that's going to give me an idea of the of, of God that by itself might not be accurate. And then it would seem to go and contradict directly uh, Deuteronomy. If I then was tried to convince of monotheism, it would seem to be incompatible. However, if we look at it the way God taught, you know, he started with algebra and then moves on up to calculus, he starts with a simple concept in the Old Testament. Let's just learn and pound monotheism for a couple thousand years. Then let's move up to, to a harder statement. So he, so he does that. Now, um, we understand, as I said, that they both reach the same point. They both reach um, the true concept of a monotheistic God and at the same time a trinity. So... Well, that's easy because that's Old Testament, New Testament. Begin with the Old Testament. So, um, so let's look at another one. Um, <clears throat> let's compare Romans 6.14 and Matthew 5.18. Romans 6.14 and Matthew 5.18. Now, this is obviously going to be a little bit more tricky because they're both in the New Testament. So we can't just go, well, obviously the first one is where we should begin. So Romans 6.14 says this, Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Where should I begin? We understand it's one topic he's talking about. Um, what is binding to us. Um, Jesus seeming to say that it's until heaven and earth pass away, the law is in effect, and Paul seems to say the opposite. But we have to reach one conclusion. Where do I begin? All right. So Paul's statement is much more clear, isn't it? It doesn't have nearly so many details. It's not quite so abstract. Um, we are not under law, but under grace, that's a direct statement. Um, and it's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Uh, we're going to have to combine that with some things, but this is going to form the, the, the structure of what we're going to understand. So Matthew, then, um, the way I would look at it is say, okay, I know that we're not under law, but under grace from, from what Paul has said. I recognize that Jesus made his statement before his death and resurrection. Right? So there's a nuance, so um, that's important. 
But then I say, well, let's dissect this statement a little bit because it is nuanced. It's got some of these details in here that need to be pulled out. Well, it works like this, and this is the way I explain this, is that this is, works kind of like a, a warranty. And I, I don't know, I haven't bought a new car ever. I just remember advertisements, and I forget when it was, but I remember Chrysler when they had this great, great warranty. It was, uh, it was probably in the late 80s or 90s when they came out with a seven-year, 70,000-mile warranty. That's nothing. Now, cars just, every car hits you know that virtually but that was a big thing back then because cars didn't last as long right seven years so how did that warranty work well whichever term first ex you know was first expired that invalidated that contract it was a or statement uh, seven years or 70,000, whichever comes first, then your warranty's expired. If you, if you put on 70,000 miles in year one, hey, you're driving high miles, that warranty's expired. If you drive five miles a, a day, you know, seven years later, um, we don't care. Enough time has gone on, the stuff is gonna start going wrong. Your warranty is invalid. And that's what this statement is. This statement says, listen, until heaven and earth pass away, time, a time limit, or until um, it's fulfilled, which is the, the mechanical part of this, you know, the 70,000 miles, the, the linear aspect of this, this, this has been fulfilled. Whichever one of those first happens, this law will be no longer valid. Well, of course, that happened in, in when Christ died and rose. This is important because some people still like to hang on to parts of the law. You know, if you're talking to a Seventh-day Adventist, they still like, you know, the Sabbath. You're supposed to go to a church on, this, on Saturday, and there's still some uh, eating of, you know, no eating of certain types of foods and some of the kosher laws. They have some of those, um, some, some of those basic ideas. So they, you know... Uh, well, you're supposed to have this or that. And different, no, we're not under law, period. We're not under law. We are under grace. And so we see that actually Matthew and Romans point to the same thing. But at first, we don't necessarily see that unless we take them in order. So we have um, just one more thing to talk about. Uh, today, I want to talk about the danger of unprioritized interpretation. And as we, we talked about in the Good Samaritan story, uh, I want to refer back to that. The heart is the key. We often think that the mind is the key to correct interpretation, and we place all the emphasis on that. Let me prove that incorrect with a simple comparison. Uh, how many of you have ever been like surprised at a, a little kid, one of your one of your children, maybe after church or or you're reading the Bible or you're reading a story or whatever it is, and they make a doctrinally profound observation? Have you ever been like you weren't expecting that, and you're really surprised? Like wow, they how 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 did they 
I haven't taught them that. I haven't, you know, I, I don't, they reached that conclusion. Um, well, we probably have all been there. It's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. How many of you equally have been surprised at the stupidity of a very educated person? Right? What's the difference? Right? What's the difference is the heart. A very educated person with a, with a bias in his heart is going to reach the wrong conclusion, and yet a very simple-minded person with an honest heart can see some things pretty plainly. How much more then, as we grow and have a capable intellect with a pure heart, are we going to be able to, with consistency, reach truth? The heart is the key. But I want to point out the danger of, the, uh, of going and interpreting things in the wrong order. Switching up these two. We already looked at some of these, you know, which one should I do? Which one should I do? And I want to talk about the danger of of doing these in the wrong order. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 10 through 13. And we're almost done here. He says, Moses said, your, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gotten from me, that's Corbin. That is to say, it's given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like this. So just a, um, understanding what they were doing here. Because their hearts were hard, because we see them, we can see the greed in here controlling them. Here's what they were doing. They were saying, no, I was... Because of our rules, there's no, uh, our culture doesn't have, you know, if we're living back then, they don't have daycare, they don't have assisted living, they don't have, you know, uh, nursing homes, they don't have any of that. So parents are taken care of by their children. Um, And so there were actually people going around and saying, you know what, I was going to do this, mom, dad, I was going to take care of you. But, you know, the money that I was going to do that with, I, I gave to God. So what they were doing is like double, double counting their tithe. They, they tithe and say, well, that was the money. I gave the money to God. Do you want me to not give to God? Well, I can't not give to God. That's very important. So I'm giving to God. So I'm, I'm sorry you're out of luck this month. You know. Uh, so <laughs> what are they doing? They're using an abstract manipulating an abstract, which was Corbin uh, concept, to, um, uh, to violate a direct command. Right? And again, it's, it's not that they were bad at interpreting, it's that their heart was hard. Uh, they knew exactly what they were doing, uh, but, but they wanted to avoid something which was inconvenient, which is, you know, that's a financial obligation. But again, you, you, you see that the order, when, when people have a bias of any type, a heart in the wrong place for any reason, they will manipulate and reach the conclusion they want by using the abstract, manipulating the abstract to try to get around the direct statement whether it be a doctrine or whether it be a, a command. 
So I'm going to use the abstract. Uh, so that's why it's important for us to begin with the direct statements and then move to the abstract statements and interpret them in that order. All right, we're done.